0: Nightlife with Suzanne Hill on ABC Radio and on the ABC Listen app. The playlist.
1: This is Nightlife on ABC Radio. Now I've got a musical legend joining you tonight to bring you his personal playlist of favourite songs through the years. Graham Nash, a founding member of the Hollies and a member of the legendary folk band Crosby, Stills and Nash. Born in Salford in the UK, now residing in the United States. So Graham's touring Australia in March, beginning in Melbourne on Thursday, March 7th, wrapping up in Tweed Heads on March 27th. I'll give you dates in more detail later. In fact, it's his first solo headline tour of Australia and I'm thrilled to have him as my guest tonight on Nightlife. Hello, Graham. Welcome.
0: Thank you very much, Suzanne. You said very nice things about me. Thank you.
1: (laughs) I hear your uh, accent uh, is still as strong as ever. You haven't lost it through all those years living in the U.S.?
0: No, I guess not. I mean, you know, people uh, in America think I I talk, you know, funny. And people in, in the United Kingdom think I talk like a yank.
1: All right, so you can't you can't win at the moment either way. Anyway, I uh, can't
0: win. I'll just keep talking.
1: Yeah, Graham, tell us a bit about Salford, uh, which is a part of Greater Manchester, where the uh, the accent comes from. Tell us a bit about this part of the UK where you grew up.
0: I found out recently that it is was the largest slum in England. Now, of course, nobody knew that. Incredibly poor, small houses. Many, many houses all, all built for uh, for workmen that came in mainly from Ireland, actually. So it was a very poor area, but I
1: loved it. So in terms of music then, what kinds of music, if any, were your parents playing in the house as you grew up?
0: There was no music in our house when I grew up. Only uh, a little later, the BBC, we managed to buy a portable radio. There that, that was only, I think, only two channels on the BBC then. Very poor, but, but once again, uh, you didn't know that. You know, um, I mean, I I was often hungry, but I was never starving.
1: Yeah, just extraordinary to think that you've made a career out of music, but you didn't actually have it around you in those early years of growing up. Do you remember when it came into your life and starting to hear music regularly for the first time? A couple of
0: moments. Um, When I was about seven years old, I would sing in the school choir with my friend Alan Clark. Alan Clark and I started the Hollies in December of 1962. I I later got clued into the American Top 40, uh, which had people like Buddy Holly and the Everly Brothers and Elvis and Fats Domino and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and, you know, Gene Vincent. Uh, that's when I, that's when I really seriously got into music.
1: I mean you were born in 1942 so you're just coming of age aren't you as the era of rock and roll dawned must have been such an exciting time to be alive
0: It was an exciting time, you know what but it's exciting right now and I almost um, I'm a week away from 82.
1: <laughs> yep. All right. Well, it's glad to hear you've kept the excitement levels up the whole time. So why don't we start oh, yes. start with some of the music, Graham? We are going to go back to the mid-50s to start with. So you would have been, I think, around 14 at the time of this one. Bebop Aluba, Gene Vincent. What are your memories of listening to it and hearing it?
0: Bebop Aluba by Gene Vincent was the very first 78 that I uh, ever acquired, and I didn't buy it. I swapped it for three pieces of toast at school. A kid there liked the toast that I had, so I gave him three rounds of toast and he gave me Bebop a by Gene Vincent and it's been one of my favourite records ever since.
1: Did you know the song al- already or did you just sort of get this record in your toast swap and go home and listen to it for the first time?
0: No, I'd heard it on the radio on a Sunday night uh, the American Top 40, and, uh, and bebop a was played, and, and uh, I, I definitely had heard it.
1: So you knew it was worth giving the toast up for?
0: Absolutely.
1: Let's hear it. bebop from Jean Vincent from 1956.
0: Well, she's my baby.
1: bebop a don't You are on Night Live with me, Suzanne Hill. My very special guest tonight is Graham Nash, a founding member of the Hollies and, of course, a member of the legendary folk band Crosby, Stills and Nash. He is heading to Australia in March, and I will be giving you the tour details a, a bit later on. Um, we'll talk more about your passion for photography, but it was 1956... Your dad received a stolen camera as a gift for you and ended up going to jail. That must have been a huge jolt for you as a 14-year-old.
0: Yes, I had I had to become the man of the family at 14. I had to make sure the door was locked at night and that the fire was tamped down and uh, that my mum was OK and that the dishes had been done, you know yeah it was it was a tremendous shock
1: I mean, as you say, growing up in Islam, although you didn 't see it that way as, as a time, it, do you think if you hadn 't discovered music, life mightn 't have ended up being as rosy for you as it has turned out to be?
0: Life is made up of choices, and it 's the choices you make that uh, that guide your life i've got to thank my mother and father for uh, encouraging my uh, my passion for music. They never told me to get a real job. I was making music with Alan Clark, just two acoustic guitars, and we would go out to pubs and and play and and make almost as much as my dad did at work for a week, you know, in in one night. My mother and father uh, encouraged my passion for music, and and that's why you and I are talking right now.
1: There was this camera that had been the the gift for you, and uh, photography has also ended up being a lifelong passion for you, hasn't it, Graham?
0: I've been a photographer longer than I've been a musician. And I've been a musician since I was thirteen.
1: <laughs> so, what were you taking photos of back as a back when you were a, a child and teenager? Usually,
0: the, the zoo. My dad would take me and my my. Uh, I had two sisters, but uh, one of them uh, hadn't been born yet. So, he would take me and my sister to Bellevue Zoo, and we'd take. I think you know uh, pictures. You know um, the. Uh, in my, uh, in my latest book uh, called uh, A Life in Focus, uh, there's a picture of my mother that I took uh, that, when I was 11.
1: So we've got a couple more songs from the late 50s to play, Graham. Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis is on your list. Um, what, what is it about this song that stuck out to you at the time?
0: It's absolutely one of the best rock and roll records ever recorded. It has such incredible energy and of course Jerry Lee was uh, was was pretty famous there i think he i think he married his second cousin or something when she was you know a youngster um but a great balls of fire was a really great song and the fact is that it, it nearly never got made when Jerry played that for uh, Sam Phillips uh, over Sun Records, Jerry Lee Lewis didn't want to play it for him because, you know, it was almost uh, against religion, you know, with great balls of fire. You know, it's like Jerry didn't want to play it, but Sam, Sam kind of insisted and, and uh, it ended up being one of the best records ever.
1: Uh, I guess I never thought of it being a bit controversial, but I guess in the 1950s it, it, it must have been. Let's hear it. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis' Great Balls of Fire.
0: You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much of love drives a man insane You broke my will, but what a thrill Grace's great balls of fire I let you love what I thought it was funny You came along and you my me, I've changed my mind. is Great balls
1: of fire. It's Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire. You're on Nightlife. Suzanne Hill with you on this Saturday night. And I have uh, folk music legend Graham Nash with me playing you some of his favourite songs. Uh, we're still in the 1950s because I've got Buddy Holly next, and that'll be the day. Again, talk to us, Graham, about what it is about this song you love so much.
0: I've always loved Buddy Holly. You know, he, he was. He was really one of us, you know, he wasn't like Elvis, you know, he didn't slick his hair back and shake his ass and stuff. Uh, he wore his suit and tie, you know, and uh, he he was unbelievable. And uh, he, he made incredibly simple music. A few years ago, I I went to uh, his uh, grave in Texas where, where, where he's buried. I, I actually saw the house in which That'll Be The Day was written. And it was written basically when Buddy and a couple of his uh, bandmates, uh, the Crickets, uh, went to see a John Wayne movie. And uh, somebody said to, something to John Wayne about, hey, you know what? And John Wayne said, yeah, that'll be the day. And Buddy loved that. And they went home uh, and, and wrote it.
1: Here it is. That'll be the day. Buddy Holly from 1957. Graham Nash is here with you on Nightlife, Buddy Holly, that'll be the day. Uh, Graham, I love you said that uh, Buddy Holly was one of you. He wore his suit and tie and didn't shake his ass like Elvis. Was that mean that when you first started going out and, and playing around Manchester, you were decked out in the suit and tie as well? Uh, yeah, well, I
0: mean, you know, I, I mean, I've done everything in music. I was in a band once where we had to wear caveman outfits. I mean, you know, <laughs> you'll do anything to play music, and that's that's what we did. We were, you know, the Hollies were really five kids from Manchester uh, who were supposed to do what their dad did and what their grandfather did. You know, you either go down the mill, uh, you know, to to make cloth, or you go down the mine to dig coal you know, and those were the only two jobs that you could really get. And that's why I I was talking to you earlier about how grateful I am to my mother and father that they didn't push me into one of those soul-destroying jobs. I, I realized that uh, those kind of jobs are, 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 are taken nowadays and and, uh, and and people are earning decent money but uh, it 's not a very uh, artful life
1: yeah and i mean I think the thing would have been that for most people, there was no option if your passion lay elsewhere, it sounds like for many people in Manchester that was what you were going to do
0: yeah and but i didn 't and once again choices.
1: They're a luxury. So how did you and Alan, I mean, you started there singing in the school choir when you were just seven. How did you get that first break once you two had started writing songs together?
0: The Hollies played a uh, a noontime, a lunchtime show at the Cavern in Liverpool. The cavern in Liverpool in those days had a show at between noon and one o'clock in the in the afternoon for all the uh, boys and girls who didn't want you know wanted to grab a sandwich and and just listen to some music during their lunch hour, uh, and so the Hollies were playing one of these uh, shows. And at the end of the show, we're packing up our gear and uh, this this man comes up to us and he, uh, he says, my name is Ron Richards and, and I'm from uh, EMI down in uh, Abbey Road in London. And uh, I was wondering whether you'd like to come down to London and make a demo.
1: And you said, Would
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we went down there and we cut out, you know, they, they loved the demo that we made. Run us to the same record company, the Beatles that w- were signed to, and we um, we started in December of '62, and in March of, of '63, which was only four five months later, we had a record
1: in the charts. Wow, what a what an amazing turnaround from doing the lunchtime concert for the the school kids taking a break. Really? Yeah, amazing. Really. Um, so but
0: what, once again, what would, have, what would have happened if I'd have said, uh, no, we're not interested?
1: Yeah, uh, we've got So Sad by the Everly Brothers next. Graham, tell me about this song and its place in your life.
0: In 1960, me and Alan Clark were going to see the Everly Brothers at the Free Trade Hall in Manchester. And we decided that we were not only going to see the show, we wanted to meet the Everly Brothers. We noticed that there wasn't a uh, like a bus outside the stage door that was going to take them to the next show. You know, sometimes you play a show and then you get on a in a bus and you drive to the next gig. You know, you know what I mean. So, but there was no bus, so we knew that they were staying in town, and we also knew that the free the the uh, Midland Hotel, which was one of the best hotels in Manchester, was only a hundred yards away from the Free Trade Hall, where they were playing. So me and Alan. Waited on the steps of the Midland Hotel. We missed the last bus home. We uh, we knew we had to walk about nine miles in the rain, but we still didn't care. And about just before one thirty in the morning, the Everly Brothers came round the corner. They were a little drunk. They'd been, uh, you know, at, at a bar, you know, after their show. Um, and they stood talking to me and Alan Clark for what seemed like about 20 minutes. And it was only probably
1: a minute and a half,
0: you know. But we told them that me and Alan sing and we wanted to make records with, with them one day. And uh, um, so, you know, that was the first time I ever saw them. Six years later, this is 1966 now. Um, the Hollies are playing the, the uh, London Palladium and Pete Seeger was the opening, was the main act and we were supporting him. At check, the phone rang backstage and our tour manager picked it up and he said, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's right here. Hold on a second. And he starts to hand me the phone and I go, who is it? Who is it? Uh, and Rod Shields, our tour manager said, he says, it's Phil Everly. I said, look, Rod, that, that, you don't do that to me. That's, that's not nice. He said, I think it's Phil Everly. So I go, hello. And he goes, Hey Graham, how are you doing that? This is Phil. And obviously I recognized his voice and he wanted to know if the Hollies had any uh, songs that they hadn't recorded yet. So, I said, yeah, we did. And we went down there and we played them a dozen songs and they chose seven of them to do. And I said, okay, when, when you start the record? He said, uh, tomorrow morning. I said, holy Toledo. <laughs> so we went, we went down there and uh, a kid called Reggie Dwight was on piano, who later became um, Elton John. Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones were on guitar and bass. And um, we helped the Elderly Brothers. Oh, my up. goodness. <laughs> now we go to 1993. I'm in Toledo, Ohio, over here in the States. And in, my phone rings in the hotel room, which is a, a little unusual. And I pick it up. I go, hello. And he goes, hey, Graham, it's Phil again. I go, Phil, great. Why are you calling me in Toledo, Ohio? He said, well, you know where you three are playing tomorrow? I said, yeah. He says, we're playing there tonight. Do you want to go? So I went down to the, uh, to the Everly Brothers show. And before the show starts, Don uh, Everly looks at me and goes, so um, what are you going to sing with us? I'm dying inside.
1: Wow. It's
0: been a lifelong dream for me to sing. So I said, "Um, oh, you know, I really love that song. So sad. It's a beautiful song. Don goes in E. Yep. So Don said "Uh, in E. Yep. I can sing it in E. So um, Phil said, okay, I'll go underneath Don's singing. You can take my part. I said, why? He said, Because I have the really high pop. I said, Phil, look who you're talking to. You're talking to me who learned how to sing high, singing on top of you and Don. Stay exactly where you are. I'll sing on top of both of you. I have a cassette of me and Don and Phil singing so sad in three-part harmony that makes me cry even today. Oh, wow. That's why so sad by the Everly Brothers is on my list.
1: Well, after that story, we better hear it immediately. The Everly Brothers and so sad uh, from 1960, not the version where Graham is singing with them in the 1990s. So sad from the Everly Brothers. And wasn't that a fabulous story that our guest tonight, Graham Nash, was telling us about all his encounters with the Everly Brothers over the years, beginning from being very young and waiting for them around the corner to singing that song with them on stage uh, in the United States many years later. Yeah, Graham Nash is my special guest on Night Live tonight. He is touring Australia. It's his first solo headline tour. He will be here in March. Uh, I'll give you the tour dates now. Uh, Melbourne Palais, Wednesday the seventh, the Port Fairy Folk Festival over that weekend, where nightlife will be broadcasting from, doing a live pop quiz as well. The Adelaide Entertainment Centre on Wednesday the thirteenth of March, Sydney Opera House Tuesday the nineteenth, the Newcastle Civic Centre on Wednesday twentieth, uh, Wollongong at Anita's Theatre on Saturday twenty third, the Brisbane QPAC Theatre Tuesday the twenty sixth of March, and then the Tweed Heads Twin Towns on Wednesday the twenty seventh. So plenty of chances to see. Graham Nasher in March here in Australia. Now our next song is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. It comes from a pivotal year in your life Graham. When you were on tour in the US you met David Crosby and Stephen Stills. But let's talk about the song first. What do you remember about hearing it for the first time?
0: When I heard uh, God Only Knows I, I, I said that Great Balls of Fire was one of the best records ever made and it really was but you know what? God Only Knows kicks it in the ass, I'm afraid. It's a fantastic song. It's an unbelievable sounding track. Obviously, um, Brian is a, is a, a genius, and uh, God Only Knows is one of the best records out there. Listen to it right now.
1: God only knows from the Beach Boys from the 1966 album "Pet Sounds, which well, that was one of the most enthusiastic recommendations I think I've ever heard coming from our guest, Graham Nash. Now this was 1966, this album. This is the year that you met Stephen Stills and David Crosby for the first time. Tell me about that and how that happened.
0: I have to, uh... I have to give, uh, give, give it up for uh, uh, Cass Elliot. Mama Cass was, of course, with the uh, mamas and the papas. And the Hollies were promoting a record that we had out on Imperial Records. And after, after the party, you know, this kid comes up to me and he goes, you know, um, what, you, what are you doing after this party? I said, "Um, I don't know. What are you doing? He said, well, I've I've got these friends and they're recording down the street. And I I, I thought you might want to, you know, go, go and see them. I said, so who are they? And he said, they're called the Mamas and the Papas. So I said, Okay. they make great records. I love California Dreaming. Let's go. Let me let me. Yes, absolutely. I'll come with you. When I got to the recording studio, uh, Michelle and Denny and John were uh, laying on some vocal in the, in the actual recording studio, so I couldn't go in there. The red light was on, of course. Uh, but Cass was outside, and so I, I struck up a friendship with Cass Elliott, and uh, she's been in my uh, in my prayers every single night ever since because I think that Cass really could hear what, in her yeah. mind, what I would sound like with David and Stephen. Now, she knew David and Stephen, and she knew that this Buffalo Springfield had uh, broken up and that David had been thrown out of the birds. And so David and Stephen were trying to get kind of like a, I guess, like an Everly Brothers thing together. I swear, Cass knew what we would sound like in her mind, and she was absolutely right. The first time that I heard me and David and Stephen sing, I knew I would have to go back to England, leave the Hollies, leave my equipment, and come to America and follow that sound. And so that's what I did.
1: Wow that's amazing. Graham Nash uh, is your guest on Nightlife tonight. We're going to play some Beatles for you now. You've chosen a day in the life. Uh, it's such a, a beautiful lyrically rich song this one. Why do you love it?
0: It's it, once again it's one of those incredibly great moments musically. You know by the time they get to that gigantic piano uh, you know that ends the song you've been through a whole slew of emotions you know it's obvious which parts paul wrote and it's very obvious which part john wrote a day in the life it's got to be one of the best records ever made and so we, now we have three. We have Great Bolsa Fire. we have God Only Knows, we have But we have Sosa. And yeah, there's a lot of great music.
1: <laughs> I have to say, often, you know, when we do this segment on Nightlife, um, A Day in the Life, I think, is one of the songs that actually does come up quite a lot. So I think there's a lot of, lot of votes for it. Um, let's hear it, The Beatles and A Day in the Life. The Beatles and a day in the life uh, chosen for you by Graham Nash, who is my special guest here on Nightlife tonight on this Saturday night. Uh, we're going to veer off now and play a couple of pieces of music that are outliers on this list and then play a couple of pieces you're very closely entwined with, Graham. Uh, the first is Adagio for Strings. Why is it on this list?
0: The Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber is probably one of the most beautiful, utterly stunning classical pieces of music that I've ever heard. It is so emotional. It is the music that was played behind The Elephant Man. If you uh, ever saw that movie, it is an unbelievably emotional piece of classical music. And Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber has been on my list for decades.
1: Some of Samuel Barber's adagio for strings for you. It's beautiful, isn't it, here on Nightlife on ABC Radio with Suzanne Hill on this Saturday night. Finally, Graham, in this trip through some of your favourite music, it's a track that you wrote uh, from 1975, Wind on the Water and Critical Mass. Wind on the Water was actually inspired by an experience you had at at sea. Tell me about it.
0: It was a a blue whale that... uh uh, that I saw when I was sailing around America w- w- with David, and one of the reasons why I why I I love this song is is that we've always combined Critical Mass, which David wrote, with my song Wind on the Water to create uh, a kind of a mini suite there, um, and I, and I put it in there and I put it as the last song because. I loved David Crosby. We, we did have a couple of years there at the end that were a little unruly, um, but we were getting together towards the end of his life. We were emailing and voicemailing each other, and uh, I set up a time uh, to FaceTime with him so I could see his face when we were talking. And uh, uh, I set it up for three days later, but uh, the call never came, and David was dead the next day.
1: Oh, gosh. But, yeah, I mean, a, a relationship that obviously changed your life, that one you had with him. And that's why we're going out with critical mass and wind on the water. Graeme, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your stories on Nightlife Tonight. And we look forward to seeing you in Australia very, very soon.
0: You got it. Thank you very much, Suzanne.
1: Graham Nash, who is heading to Australia in March, I'll give you those dates again. At after we have heard his final song for you, "Critical Mass," "Wind on the Water," uh, a Crosby Nash song from 1975. Da, da, da. This is Nightlife with Suzanne Hill.